Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this service. We thank you for those here and for those watching online. We especially thank you for those in other countries taking the time to tune in. We also pray for those not well today that you would heal them and that you would be Yahweh Rapha, that you would heal whatever sickness they are plagued with, Father. And we know that there's nothing beyond your ability. And we uh, come to you in faith, praying that your blessings would now be upon this assembly and those, all those worshiping you today in spirit and truth. And we ask this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to see everybody here, and I'd like to welcome some of our guests. So as you can see on the slide here, the uh, message is entitled, Could COVID Usher in the Mark of the Beast? Well, the last two years, I've been asked by several whether I believe that the COVID mandates are the mark of the beast or if this could usher in the mark of the beast. In the past... My response has always been no, and while I still believe that to be the case, I do believe that what we're seeing and what we have seen during this pandemic is perhaps a precursor and certainly conditioning to the mark of the beast. I believe it may have also been an exercise by the powers that be to see how far they can manipulate the populace and population of this world. As evidence from the pandemic, most simply fell in line without ever protesting or showing any sort of opposition, no matter how great the tyrannical measures were. I want to spend a few minutes, several minutes, talking about what we've seen during the two-plus years of this pandemic, in case you forgot, Seems like any more we base time on pre and post COVID. Of course, we're kind of still in COVID, sort of. Of course, I was done with COVID in June of 2020, just for the record. But I guess we're still in COVID. You know, for one, we've seen contradictory and absurd mandates. And not only here in this nation, but also in most of the world. What we see here is not unique. We're seeing in Europe and of course, China, Australia, other places around the world. We also witnessed the loss of freedoms, some freedoms we never gained back. And again, we witnessed how quickly so many were willing to comply to these mandates. We also saw COVID cause division including between families. Even now, there are some families who refuse to see one another because their loved one is not vaccinated. Or maybe a boost the slide here. We also saw states and cities impose proof of vaccination cards, measures to confirm whether we've gotten the shot. As we know, though, many of these vaccine mandates are now beginning to come to an end, even many of the hard democratic states are now rolling back many of these mandates. Now, of course, if there's an election coming, and I'm not ignorant of that, and hopefully most people aren't. You know, another example of this is what we've seen in Australia. You know, it's amazing what we've seen there. It's really been shocking, the oppression and the, the tyranny that we've seen. Some of the videos of police tackling and and doing horrible things. You know, as a recent example of this tyranny, uh, the Daily Mail on January 21, so just a few weeks ago, published an article reporting that cops arrested several um, people, including a nine-year-old girl named Jayla. And all they were guilty of is going into a museum and refusing to show a vaccination card. And I'm assuming they probably protested a bit. But nonetheless, they were arrested for not showing their vaccination card. I want to share with, you, share with you a quick video. Let's see if this works here. Just a few seconds. But this is Jayla, this nine-year-old girl, being arrested and, and brought out of this museum. 
Now, I don't know about you, but this is a horrible sight. Horrible sight. There is absolutely no justification for arresting a nine-year-old girl who really has very little risk to COVID for simply not showing her vaccination card. And she wasn't alone. There were others. But I thought it was especially appalling to see that nine-year-old girl brought out by police for simply not showing her vaccination card. Besides the obvious overreach and abuse here, can, I can also certainly see how this uh, would tie into the mark of the beast, the conditioning of the mark of the beast. I believe it's a prelude to what we may see during this time. You know, here recently, though, we've seen a lot of opposition to these dictatorial measures here in this nation and also in many other nations. The one we're probably all familiar with at this point are these freedom truckers, I think, as they're called, in Canada. They've uh, created blockades deliberately, and I believe justifiably, in protest to these tyrannical measures. And, of course, we've seen others. I think New Zealand has kind of followed suit. We know that France has followed suit. From what I heard, there's two organizations occurring here in the States soon. So we are seeing people protest, and a good, and, and again, it's good to see this. In fact, again, we're, we're seeing, a, again, that even here in this nation. Now, we also um, know that this is making a difference. For instance, here in this article, Canadian provinces to lift COVID restrictions amid escalating trucker protests, and so we fi find that these politicians are realizing that these, these oppressive measures are no longer going to fly. People are tired, and they will not continue to comply, which is a good thing. It's a good thing with what we're seeing right now in the world. Now, there's one piece of news I want to focus on for, for just a few minutes coming out of Sweden. During this pandemic, a Swedish company has implanted 6,000 or over 6,000 people with microchips as proof of a COVID vaccine. Now, here's the headline. This is from Fox News. I, I sent this out to my sent it this to my wife, and she didn't believe me until she saw it on Fox News later that day or that week. But as a Swedish company showcases microchip that can download COVID-19 passport status. I want to share another quick video with you. This is three minutes, right, right over three minutes. And it is talking about this Swedish company and their push to implant microchips for a COVID vaccine passport. So let's see if we should have sound on here. So maybe we can turn the sound up if not. I don't see anybody behind the audio booth. So you do see the subtitles here, <laughs> if nothing else. I'm not sure if it even has sound. Like, oh, there it goes. I thought it had sound. Maybe we can have someone manning the audio booth. I think it's very much part of my own integrity to have myself chipped and keep my personal data there with me. I actually feel in a way that it's even more controlled on my end, having it in my own hand. Mm 
So I have a chip implant in my arm, and I have programmed uh, the chip so that I have my COVID passport and on the chip. And the reason is that I always want to have it accessible. And when I read my chip, I just swipe my phone on the chip, and then I unlock, and it opens up. This is a PDF, which is my COVID passport. And this means that it's always accessible for me, uh, or for anyone else, really, who wants to read me. Uh, for example, if I go to the movies or go to a shopping center, uh, then people will be able to check my status, even if I don't have my phone. A chip implant costs, um, you know, 100 euros if you want to buy them the more advanced versions. And you can compare this with, for example, a health wearable that uh, will cost perhaps twice that. But at the same time, a chip implant you can use for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, whereas a wearable you can only use for three, four years. So. how these implants work they are uh, they don't have a battery they cannot transmit a signal by themselves so they're basically passive they sit they're asleep right they can never tell your location they're only activated when you touch them with your smartphone so this means that they cannot be used for tracking anyone's location and what matters to me is that the people who get chip implants they do so because they are you know on a voluntary basis uh, and because they're curious and they want to work with this technology. So who's um, going to Sweden? <laughs> yeah, it's quite a story, you know, when I heard about this, I was taken back. Again, I don't believe that this exactly is the mark of the beast, but it is certainly, I believe, a type of what could be. Well, this technology has been used for years, and it's been used for years. It's not real new. It is something generally used for animals, not people. But we can see how they would leverage this technology with the mark of the beast. Now, again, I don't believe that this example specifically is the fulfillment of that, but again, we're, we're going to see something similar maybe in the future. For years, I've uh, believed that the uh, microchip could very well be the fulfillment of the mark of the beast. Now, could it be something different? Absolutely. It could be something very different from a chip. doesn't mean it's a chip, but we certainly know that it is something implanted within us, and we'll... Read about that as we go through this message. I want to turn out of the Bible and talk about the Antimessiah and what we find with the false prophet and also the mark of the beast. So I want to begin there in Revelation 13, verse 1. There in Revelation 13, verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. I want to stop here for just a moment and explain the imagery we find here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, by the way, explaining this. We find a passage in Revelation 17 which really offers many clues. I'm not going to turn there for time today. The beast coming up out of the sea represents the Antimessiah, or the man of sin. The sea, by the way, represents, Scripture says, peoples and tongues and nations. But specifically, we find that the Antimessiah is the reference here. The seven heads symbolize seven kingdoms, I believe. As we see in Revelation 17, at the time of this prophecy, it says there that five of those had fallen. One was, and one was yet to come, and there would also be an eighth. Now, we believe that the five kingdoms that fell at this point in history were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece, the kingdom that existed would have been Rome. Everyone generally agrees with that. And the seventh kingdom would 
be the successor of Rome, which we believe would be the Ottoman Turks. As we know, it was the Ottoman Turks who defeated the Byzantine Empire. Historically, the Byzantine Empire was the eastern half of Rome. So we believe that the seventh kingdom would have been the Ottoman Turks. As we'll see in this passage, the names of blasphemy here represent the irreverence that the man of sin will show toward Yahweh's people and the and Yahweh himself. So let's keep on going here. Revelation 13 verse 2 says, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of his lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So what does all this imagery represent? For the animal characteristics here, it symbolizes the different aspects of the intimacy in his kingdom. There, Yahweh uses different characters in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, to describe the different kingdoms, historically speaking. There in Daniel 7, we know that he uses, again, animal characteristics to describe Babylon, Assyria, and also Greece, along with the empire for the man of sin. Here in Revelation 13, verse 2, I believe that these characteristics, again, symbolize the speed and strength of the man of sin and his empire. It's not literally beasts, but it's what these beasts represent, strength and power. It also says here that the dragon gave the beast his seat, his power, and great authority. So who, who here is represented by this dragon? Or we know who's represented, and that is Satan the devil. Satan the devil is the one who represents the dragon. And again, as we see here, he is the one who will empower the man of sin. You see, without Satan the devil, the man of sin could do nothing. Satan the devil will be the one who will empower, give him his authority, and give him his position at the end of this age. I want to continue with verse 3 now. It says there in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now, what does it mean here when it says one of his heads was wounded to death, but was unhealed? What are we talking about? Are we talking about someone who has multiple heads? No, we're still talking about the heads that symbolize in kingdoms. Again, as we saw in the first verse, it said there that there was seven kingdoms or seven heads representing the seven kingdoms as we find in Revelation 17. We believe here that the head that was wounded represents the Ottoman Empire because we know Scripture says that the eighth is of the seven. Now it's in Revelation 17. But there's a connection between the seventh and the eighth empire. So we know the seventh empire, based on history, we know would be the Ottoman Turks. And we see here that this head was struck and then was healed. And we believe that this will be a revived Islamic caliphate near the end of this age, similar to the Ottoman Empire that existed before. So that's the interpretation as we understand it. I want to continue now with verse 4 and read down through verse 10. It says, And they worshipped the dragon, and again the dragon represents who? The dragon represents Saint the devil, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That forty and two months, we'll talk about it in just a moment, but it is a very important number. And we see that reckoned in other ways, as we'll talk about. And it says, he opened his mouth and blasphemy against Yahweh. Again, we saw that in verse 1, that he would speak blasphemies. We see here this being fulfilled, that he would speak blasphemy against Yahweh, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and then that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So who worships this beast? All the earth except those who are part of Messiah. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is 
the patience and the faith of the saints. So we see several aspects of the man of sin here in his empire. We find that the populace of this world will again worship this man. They will also worship the dragon, Satan, the devil, that will empower this man. We also see this duration of 42 months. 42 months. 42 months is the time of the great tribulation. 42 months is equivalent to the time we find in Revelation 12 and also in Daniel. In Daniel, we see the phrase time and times and a division uh, or dividing of time. In Revelation 12, we find a similar phrase. It says time and times and a half of time. Where the time is a year, times is two years, a half a time is a half a year. It's three and a half years or 42 months. This is the duration that this man will rule as a despot over this earth. Satan will empower this man for 42 months. And we find that during this time that he will make war with the saints. He will overcome the saints. He will overcome believers. He will speak words of blasphemy against Yahweh. And he will speak blasphemy against his people. Even against those in heaven, it says. Against the angelic host. So we find that this man will be empowered in a great way. In fact, it says here, who is able to make war with this man? We see that the man of sin is a man of war. It's a man of war. In verse 7, it says again that he will make war with the saints and overcome them. Finally, we see that all the earth will worship this man, except for those who are written in the book of life, except for those who follow the Messiah, all others will worship this man. I want to continue now with verse 11. Verse 11 introduces another man known as the false prophet. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the sea earth. So notice one comes out of the sea, one comes out of the earth. And he had ten or two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So we find this deadly wound. Again, the deadly wound represents what? The deadly wound represents the Ottoman, or the succession, I should say, of the Ottoman Empire, because this is the empire that would succeed the seventh kingdom. The seventh kingdom, again, I believe, based on the evidence, will be a revived caliphate, similar to the Ottoman Empire that was defeated in World War I. Goes on to say he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Can you imagine seeing a man, and I believe that this will be a man, but he is going to literally be able to rain fire down from heaven. Can you imagine ever seeing a man being able to perform these great wonders? Now we know where he receives his power. It is from Satan the devil from Lucifer, from the evil one. But nonetheless, we find here that he's going to be able to rain fire down from heaven and people are going to, going to be amazed. It says, and, and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. I kind of wonder if this is the abomination of desolation an image of the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So the beast here coming out of the earth represents a false prophet. This is not the man of sin. This is not the same beast that we saw in verse 1. This is a separate beast. This beast, again, represents the false prophet. It says here that this beast has two horns as a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. So what does all that represent? Well, the two horns as a lamb, many who study end-time prophecy believe that this points to this man being a counterfeit Messiah. But we also see here that he speaks as a dragon representing Satan the devil. So he may represent himself as the anti-Messiah, or he may represent himself as a counterfeit Messiah. But in the end, we know that he receives his power from Satan the devil. 
We find here that he exercises, it says, all the power of the first beast. So all the power that we find from this man, we also find that the man of sin will also have the son of perdition, the anti-Messiah, the first beast. And it makes sense because we know that the source of their power is the same. The source of the power for both is Satan and the devil. The dragon gives them their power and their strength and their dominion. Remember that Satan the devil is the one who's doing this. We also find here the purpose of this beast. We have this false prophet. We find here that this second beast is to force or deceive, really, the world into following the anti-Messiah. That is the purpose of this second beast. The second beast is to deceive the world through his wonders, and through that deception, all the world will follow the first beast or the anti-Messiah, the son of perdition, the man of sin. We also see here some miraculous wonders. As I've already touched on, it says this man is going to be able to rain fire down from heaven. I believe that this man is going to be able to rain fire down from heaven, as we find here from Scripture. I don't believe that this is symbolic. I don't believe that this is a metaphor. I don't believe that this is some language describing something else. No, I believe that this man will literally be able to rain fire down from heaven. And when people see this man raining fire down from heaven, they are going to be deceived. They are going to stand in awe, and they are going to do as he says to do. And this man is going to say, worship that first beast. Worship the anti-Messiah. Worship the son of perdition. Now, of course, he's not going to call it the anti-Messiah, the son of perdition. But that is the purpose, and that is why he is there. He is there to perform these great wonders so that the earth and all of mankind will worship this first beast. It is important that we understand this. And we also find here that he is going to give life to a lifeless image. It says here that, there, that, that um, an image of the beast will be made. And that he's going to take this image and he's going to bring life to this image where this image will be, be able to destroy those who refuse to comply. And that's where I think, by the way, we see some parallel between what we've seen in COVID and what we see here. Now, what we see here is much, much worse. But we've certainly seen punishment for those who refuse to comply. Or if you won't get a vaccine or you can't have a job. If you don't get a vaccine, you can't come out of your home. The same thing here, but much, much worse. Again, can you imagine watching a man rain down fire from heaven? Can you imagine watching a man take some sort of image and bringing life to this image where it can both speak and act and do. The world is going to be deceived through these wonders. The vast majority, as we've seen with COVID, will simply fall down and comply without any resistance at all. And that's where I think there's a spiritual lesson with COVID. It's important as believers that we are not so quick always to comply. And this is certainly true during these latter days. Now, beginning in verse 16, we find a mention to the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says, And he caused all... Now, this is the false prophet. So the anti-Messiah, again, he is the man who will be ruling as a despot over all the earth. He will be ruling as Elohim, as we find from Paul, but this is a false prophet. It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, poor, uh, free and bond. Doesn't matter who you are, but you can have all the money in the world. It's not going to save you from what we find here. It says to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark. That reminds me a lot of COVID. Or again, you can't go out of your home. You can't do this. You can't do that until you have your COVID vaccine. I'm not saying, again, the COVID vaccine is a mark of the beast, but there are certainly parallels to what we've seen and to what we see here. That no man might be able to buy or sell save he that had the mark, or the number of the beast, or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 600 three score, and six. So what did we learn here about the mark of the beast? 
We find here that the false prophet will be the one to force this mark upon all the inhabitants of this earth. The false prophet will be the one who will force and mandate that all who desire to buy or sell or participate in this world, that they will and they must receive this mark. It says specifically here that they will not be able to buy or sell. If we can't buy or sell, we can't engage in commerce. And we can't engage in this world. This will remove those who refuse to receive this mark. And by the way, we know the punishment, because I'm not going to refer there, uh, read that today, but Revelation 14 speaks about those who receive the mark. And it says that they're going to share the same punishment as the beast. So it is absolutely essential that we are very cognizant of this, that we are not pursuing these mandates that are not of Yahweh's word. Now, he also speaks here about wisdom and the counting of the number of the beast or the number of his name. It says here the number of the name is 603 score and 6. Now, that's old English. Most modern translations will say 666. Before we delve into the meaning of the word mark and the number of the beast or 666, I want to share with you a few things that must happen before this occurs. This is one reason why I don't believe that the COVID man, we understand that. Number one, the abomination of desolation along with the mark of the beast will not happen until the great tribulation. We know that based on Daniel 9 verse 27. Daniel 9 verse 27 shows that the great tribulation, along with what Joshua said, by the way, in Matthew 24, Joshua said to Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel, you flee. Why? Because as we know prophetically, this begins the great tribulation. So the great tribulation has not occurred yet. And again, that's based on Daniel, that's based on Revelation, that's based on what we find from Yahshua in the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24. Mark 13, Luke 21, uh, 21 as well. This time again is known as the tribulation, the seven years. Daniel 9, verse 27 talks about how the man of sin is going to form a covenant for one week. The one week, according to most scholars, represents seven years. And it then talks about how in the midst or the middle of the week that he's going to cut off the oblations and he's going to replace that with the abomination of desolation and all will worship this image, all those except for Yahweh's people. So again, that's found in Daniel 9, verse 27. We also see indication here that a third temple will be rebuilt. Daniel 9, verse 27 speaks about how, again, the sacrifices will be stopped. If there are sacrifices stopped, or there are sacrifices that were done prior to that point. Now, of course, we also know, based on Paul's writings, that the man of sin will sit in the temple, claiming to be Elohim himself, usurping himself to be the mighty one. So these are the prophecies that must happen before we can claim that the mark of the beast is here. And none of these items or prophecies have occurred yet, yet, but they, but they will. And I believe we may not be too far off that. So again, I don't believe COVID is the mark of the beast, but I certainly do believe it could be a prelude or could be a conditioning to what will, will come. Look at how quickly this world simply fell down and complied with the mandates of this world. Think about if you have a man raining fire down from heaven and a man that is able to conquer the earth through war. Who is going to resist that? Who is going to challenge the man of sin or the false prophet? There's not going to be many. It's only going to be those searching, those cognizant, those willing to protest, if be by their own lives perhaps. I want to focus now on the meaning of the word mark. What does this mean, mark? It says mark of the beast. Where Strong's defines karagma, that's the uh, Greek word for this. It says uh, a scratch or etching that is a stamp is a badge of servitude or a sculptured figure. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as a stamp, an imprinted mark of the mark stamped on the forehead or the right hand as the badge of the followers of Antichrist, it says. We see here that the Greek word for mark refers to an etching, refers to a stamp, refers to something imprinted, implanted. 
Throughout the last 2,000 years, there's been countless interpretations as to what this mark may represent. Again, for me, I believe and lean toward it representing a microchip that will be placed within our foreheads or our hand. But I could be wrong. But I can certainly see how this type of technology could be adapted and modified to serve for this purpose. But again, it could be something else. could be something entirely different from a microchip. I will say this, though. I believe the mark of the beast must be a mark or some sort of identification and something imprinted or implanted within us. That is the meaning of the word mark here. It is something, it is an etching, it is a stamp, it is something that is imprinted or implanted within us. And the reason I say that is that some believe that the mark of the beast is a universal Sunday law. I'm not sure how you take a universal Sunday law and etch it or implant it onto your skin. Or again, maybe implant a microchip, but saying that I do believe it is some sort of identification and something that is imprinted or implanted within us. I want to review a few more references on the word mark here. This is from the Jameson, Foster, and Brown Bible Commentary. It says, to receive a mark, literally, that they should give them a mark, such a brand as master stamp on their slaves and as monarchs on their subjects. Soldiers voluntarily punctured their arms with marks of the general under whom they served. Voltaires of idols branded themselves with the idols' cipher symbol. Thus, Antiochus Epiphanes branded the Jews with the ivy leaf, the symbol of Bacchus. We see that the word mark is a sign of ownership, a sign of servitude. And that's precisely what we will see during the man of sin. It is a way to identify those who comply with the mandates of the man of sin and the false prophet. As we see in scripture, the beast will force all those to receive the mark. The Bible shows that all of mankind will bow down, will willingly give up their freedom, will, will real, willingly follow this man. You know, as a side note, we also know that the Bible speaks about another mark, and that is a seal of Yahweh's name. We see this in Revelation 14, verse 1. So there's more than one mark. We have the mark of the beast, and we also have a mark of Yahweh. And they're both of a name, the number of his name, where we know that, again, the mark of Yahweh is the name of Yahweh. We see that in Revelation 7 and also Revelation 14, verse 1. We also see in this commentary reference to 2nd and 3rd Maccabees and to what Antiochus did to the Jews during this time. And I believe that this was a, again, prelude to what we will see with the man of sin. Keep in mind that Antiochus Epiphanes, he is a type of the anti-Messiah. Many people believe that, again, he is a type. He is a foreshadowing of what would come with the man of sin. So I want to actually read these accounts in 2nd and 3rd Maccabees, starting with 2nd Maccabees 6. And I want to read through 1 through 7. It says there, Not long after this, the king sent an Athenian senator to compel the Jews. A lot of mandates to compel the Jews, to forsake the laws of their fathers and cease to live by the laws of Yahweh. I'm telling you, this is exactly what we find from the Messiah. This is precisely what we find from the man of sin. It says, and also to pollute the temple in Jerusalem with, and call it the temple of Olympian Zeus, and to call the one in Gerizim the temple of Zeus and friend of strangers, as did the people who dwelt in that land. Harsh and utterly grievous was the onslaught of evil. But the temple was filled with debauchery and revealing by the Jews who delayed with hurlis and had... Now, I'm not even... I, I kind of put a different word there, just with the audience here, but relations. With, men, with women within the sacred precincts, and besides brought and things or sacrifice that were unfit. The altar was covered with abominable offerings, which were forbidden by the laws. A man could neither keep the Sabbath nor observe the feasts of his fathers nor so much as confess himself to be a Jew. On the monthly celebration of the king's birthday, the Jews were taken under bitter constraint to partake of the sacrifices, and when the feast of Dionysus came, they were compelled to walk in the procession in honor of Dionysus wearing the wreaths of ivy. 
Now, before we delve into what we find here, I should mention, we don't see Maccabees as inspired or canonical, but we certainly see it as a legitimate book historically. And we can glean a lot of great information from these books, Maccabees. You know, as we see here, the Jews suffer tremendously under a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, this man, again, as I've already mentioned, was considered and is considered a type of the anti-Messiah. He is a foreshadowing of what would come during the end of the age. In fact, the Jews believe that this man also committed the abomination of desolation when he put a statue of, the, of Zeus in the holy place. He desecrated the holy place, and he committed the abomination. I believe that's probably true. Scripturally, we know that some things are dual in nature. In other words, they are fulfilled more than once. And I believe that this man and what he did fulfilled the abomination of desolation once. But then we know that Yahshua says in Matthew 24 that when we see these things happen, flee, because a greater tribulation has come. And we know that the first sign that Yahshua gave, a physical sign, was the abomination of desolation, which occurs at the beginning of the great tribulation. But again, we see here how the, how the Jews suffered tremendously. We see here that Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated and polluted the temple and all that was holy. He forbade them from worshiping Yahweh, including observing the Sabbath and feast days. And again, we find the same thing will happen with the man of sin. The man of sin will do precisely what we find here from Antiochus Epiphanes. There will be no difference between what they both do. In Daniel chapter 7, it speaks about how this man of sin will persecute the saints, and it says to think, to change times and laws. You see, just as Antiochus changed laws, just as Antiochus forbade the Jews from worshiping Yahweh as they were commanded, the man of sin will do the same thing. And that is why Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the anti-Messiah. Everything he did was a foreshadowing of what the man of sin will do, near the end of this age. Now, speaking about a mark, we also see something here about a mark. Antiochus Epiphanes forced the Jews to wear a wreath of ivy. Now, this was in honor of Dionysus, or Bacchus, as we find. So who was Dionysus, and why this wreath? Were Dionysus, also known as Bacchus, or Bacchus, was a god of grape harvest, winemaking, orchards, vegetation, fertility, ironically, insanity. This is all insane when you think about it. And one item sacred to him was the ivy, and that was why they wore a wreath of ivy. This is why Antiochus forced the Jews to do this. It was a sign of not only worshiping this false idol, but more importantly, it was a sign of idolatry. And it was forced, it was forced the Jews to follow a mandate that was in opposition to their faith. I believe that the wreath of ivy is a type of the mark of the beast. It was a way to distinguish the Jews and to isolate the Jews from the rest of the population. Well, again, I don't believe that these vaccine mandates are the mark of the beast. I do believe that what we may be seeing is a prelude or a conditioning to the mark of the beast. Just as we see here with Antiochus Epiphanes, just as this man took and forced, mandated the Jews to wear this wreath, wreath of ivy in honor of Dionysus to, to force them to go against their faith. Now, I want to read the second account here in 3 Maccabee. 3 Maccabee is uh, 2, 28 through 30. It says, None of those who do sacrifice shall enter their sanctuaries, and all the Jews shall be subjected to a registration involving poll tax and to a status of slaves. Those who object to this are to be taken by force and put to death. Those who are registered are also to be branded. So notice, branded this time, branded on their bodies by fire with the ivy leaf symbol of Dionysus. And they shall also be reduced to their former limited status in order that he might not appear to be an enemy of all. He inscribed below, but if any of them prefer to join those who have been initiated into the mysteries, they shall have equal citizenship with the Alexandrians. What are some of the differences we find here between 2nd and 3rd Maccabees? Where instead of simply wearing a wreath 
of ivy, we find here that one was branded upon them. It was branded upon them. For me, this is a closer comparison to what we find with the mark of the beast, as I believe the mark of the beast will be permanent. Again, whether it's an etching, whether it's an imprint, whether it's something implanted, it is permanent. We also see here greater persecution for the Jews and how they suffered under this man Antiochus Epiphanes. The Jews were reduced to slaves. The only exception here is if they would, quote, participate in the mysteries. What is that, mysteries? For mysteries, there's, there are mystery religions, like Mithraism is a mystery religion, where the, the way they were worshipped was a mystery, where they had to participate in these pagan rituals. And if they did, we find here it says that they would be equal to the citizens of Alexandria. So if they would simply comply and receive their branding, or they could simply worship the mysteries, just as those, if they simply worship the man of sin, if they simply bow down, if they simply take the mark of the beast, if they simply do these very, very easy measures, that they will be free. But for those who refuse, for those who resist, we find that they're going to die, and they're going to be persecuted, just as we find here in 3 Maccabees. This is what the Jews suffered under this tyrant called Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus, again, is a type of the anti-Messiah. While the Bible says that we will not be able to buy or sell without the mark, I believe it goes and will go much, much further. It's not about just not buying and selling. Just as we find here, this will also serve as a sign of persecution if we refuse to comply. I believe that those who refuse to receive the mark of the beast will be persecuted. You know, Scripture shows that. Scripture shows that those who refuse to partake of this system, Scripture shows that those who resist, Scripture shows that those who protest, that many of them will die as a martyr to the faith. Now, some won't. We certainly know that it says in Revelation 12 that the woman representing believers will be taken out into a wilderness and protected and nourished, it says, for three and a half years. So some will be spared, some will be protected. Just as Yahweh brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he will do so again. He will bring his people again out of Egypt. And he will bring them into a place of refuge where he will feed them, I believe, and nourish them. But some will also die as a martyr. We know that scripturally. Some will die for resisting, for not complying, for protesting what we find from the man of sin. This is why Antiochus, again, is considered a type of the anti-Messiah. He forced the Jews into this behavior, into this worship. He refused and forced them not to observe the Sabbath and feast days. You know, in this respect, we should be very thankful that we still have many freedoms in this nation, including the freedom to worship as we will. Not everybody in this world has this freedom. In many nations of this world, people are without this Simple freedom to worship Yahweh. Here are some examples. To no surprise, in North Korea, it is illegal to worship anything other than Kim Jong-un. No surprise. Talk about an ego. Places like Somalia, Morocco, Libya, it is dangerous to even be considered a, quote, Christian or to have a Bible. So even though our freedoms are slipping away in this nation, we should still be very thankful that we have freedoms that I can stand behind this pulpit and preach a message of this nature. I can assure you I probably could not do this in China or Russia or many other nations around this world. So we are very blessed. We are very blessed still on so many ways to do what we do. But again, as we see here in Maccabees, this was not the case for the Jews under the tyranny of Antiochus Epiphanes, and will not be the case under the man of sin. This man will hunt believers, persecute believers, and we must have the strength to resist. As believers, it's important that we remain cognizant of this day and prepare for this time. Besides Antiochus Epiphanes and the man of sin, we find other marks being used throughout history. I wanted to review just a few of those. 
This uh, source is the Holocaust Encyclopedia. It speaks about some of the marks that's been used. I apologize if I don't get some of the names right here. It says, Muslims, rulers in the 8th century C were the first to introduce the badge to, to identify Jews and Christians. So it wasn't just isolated to Jews. Jews and Christians to, Muslim, or to uh, Islam are, are people of the book. So they do receive some recognition. It says Jews and Christians within the Muslim population, Jews and Christians living under Sharia law, were considered people of the book whose beliefs in the G.O.D. of Abraham predated the founding of Islam. As such, they were accorded the right to freely practice their faith in private. Notice, in private, not public, in private. That's still the way it is in places even like Saudi Arabia. Private. And to receive state protection. In turn, they paid a special tax and were often compelled to wear an identifying mark to indicate their status. The design and style of badges for Jews varied under Caliph Harun al-Rashid. Jews in Baghdad had to wear yellow belts or fringes. Under Caliph al-Mutawakel, Jews wore a patch in the shape of a donkey. I don't know why. I'm not sure why that was, a donkey, but... Uh, while Christians wore a figure in the shape of swine. In 1005, Jews in Egypt were ordered to wear belts, bells on their clothes. It should be noted that under the caliphate, these marks of identification were not necessarily intended to be punitive. They were meant to both reinforce the uh, protected religion status of Jews and Christians, which gave them certain rights and protections while at the same time publicly branding them as socially inferior to Muslims. So from these examples we find here, there's a long history of Jews and Christians being branded, being forced to wear marks to show their inferior status. As we see here in many cases, these were not punitive, meaning they did not, were not corrected, did not suffer, but were intended to reinforce this concept that they were, again, inferior to the Muslims. So using a sign of identification to a, of, uh, as a lesser race is nothing new. It's been used for many, many, many years. Now, the most notable example that we can all think of in the modern age is what happened during Nazi Germany. During this horrific time, many Jews were forced to wear a yellow star on their clothing as a means of identification. It was attended also as a sign of humiliation and certainly a sign of inferior status. As we know from history during the Holocaust, the lives of six million Jews were extinguished. So this was punitive. They were viewed as an inferior race, and they suffered tremendously through this. During my first trip to Israel, we visited Yad, uh, Yad Vashem, the uh, Holocaust Museum or Memorial there in Jerusalem. You know, as I walked through, and the way the building Buildings designed, it's hard to go backwards. So once you're in, you're in. And you have to go through the entire building. I'd have to show you a diagram to show you how it's designed, but you have to walk through the entire building. You see everything. It's a very hard building to walk through, to see the countless pictures and videos of how the Jews suffered under Hitler and the Nazi regime. But this happened. And as bad as this was, I believe, or I know, that what we see and what we will see during the Great Tribulation will be far worse. It will be far worse than what we find. It will be worse for those who refuse to comply to the mandates of the man of sin. This, again, is why it's important that we prepare ourselves at this time, and not just physically, but also spiritually, mentally, to consider the outcomes and to consider what we may have to do. To think through the possibilities and ask, will I be able to resist? Will I be able to protest? Or will I simply fall in line as so many did with the COVID mandate? Many people knew that what would happen during COVID was wrong and an overreach. But very few refused they simply went along. Or what we've seen during COVID is nothing to what we, we, we will see 
during this time known as the Great Tribulation. Well, we know from prophecy that, again, many believers will be taken into the wilderness for a time, times and a half a time, and there will be nourished with, I believe, hidden manna. We also know that many, again, will die as a testimony to their faith. I want to transition now and talk about the mark of the beast specifically. Again, according to the word, the number is 666. As you might imagine, there's been many, many interpretations as to what or who this may represent, more than I could possibly count. I could give an entire message for an entire day, focusing just simply on the prophecies and the predictions of who fits the criteria 666. So I'm not going to do that to you. But I could. But I'm going to refer to one source because I think one source is sufficient in this case. So here's what it says. This is from the Vincent's Word Studies. It says, it says each letter represents a component of the whole number equals, or number, chi, and that's the symbol there, chi, equals 600. The next symbol, xi, equals 60. And the next symbol is stigma, and that equals 6. In the earlier manuscripts, it is written in full. The method of reading generally adopted is what uh, is that known as the gematria of the rabbins, or in Greek, numerical equality, which assigns each letter of a name its usual numerical value and gives a sum of some numbers as the equivalent of the name. Thus, the epistle of Barnabas, we are told that the named JC is expressed by the item, or by the number 888. Iota equals 10, Eta equals uh, 8, Sigma equals 200, Omicron equals 70, Upsilon equals 400, and Sigma equals 200. That is the meaning of JC. The majority of the commentators use the Greek alphabet in computation. Others, however, employ the Hebrew, while a third class employ the Roman numerals. The interpretations of this number form a jungle from which escape is apparently hopeless. Roy says, this famous number has been made to yield almost all the historical names of the past 18 centuries. Titus, Vespasian, Simon of Gioris, Julian the Apostate, Genseric, Muhammad, and Luther, Benedict the Ninth, Louis the Fifteenth, Napoleon the First, and the Duke of Rickstag. And it would not be different on the same principles to read it in one other's names. Some of the favorite names are Latinus, describing the common character of the rulers of the former pagan Roman Emperor Neo Caesar, uh, Diocletian, the name Christ abridged and the emblem of the serpent so that the sublimated sense is the Messiah of Satan. As we see here, there are many, many different ways to render this number 666 or the mark of the beast or the number of his name. The system used as made reference here is called gematria. The Webster's, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines this word as a cryptograph in the form of a word whose letters have the numerical values of a word taken as a hidden meaning. In other words, you take the numerical value of the letters and you compute those, and that is the number. In Greek, the mark of the beast is represented by the three letters, chi, xi, and stigma, representing 660 and 6. That is how they compute 666. It's represented by these three Greek letters. When combined, again, that's the number we receive. Now, some believe that these symbols are not Greek, but Arabic. Again, within the Greek text. But if you look at them, they're not Greek. They're Arabic letters, which literally means in the name of Allah. Now, I've looked at this, and I will say that there are certainly um, similarities between the symbols we find within the Greek text and the Arabic for the name of Allah. I'm not saying it is, but it is a possibility. It is very hard to draw a definitive conclusion on what this mark or who this mark may 
refer to. It's been applied to so many throughout history. And everybody that's applied this to somebody historically has been what? Determine or compute who or what this may represent. We know that the number, as we see here, is 666. I will say, though, some even disagree with this. Some say based on the numerology and the characters within the Greek, it should be 616. Lots of debate on this. Here's what we can do. Again, I could speak for hours, giving example after example as to who may have been represented or who could be represented by this. I, um, they've, uh, I won't say who, but they've even applied this to some of the uh, modern politicians. So it's, it's hard to tell. But here's what we can do. As believers, we can remain cognizant of what is occurring in this day and age. That is something we can do. For me, I believe we may be seeing many of the prophetic signs within the word. We're seeing things like natural disasters. We're seeing things like, like um, sin increasing. It's amazing the difference in culture just 20, 30 years ago. I can remember as a kid, if you were, and this may get me into trouble, but if you were a homosexual, you stayed in the closet. There was no coming out of the closet. Or now, you're praised. It is such a different world. And the values are vastly, vastly different from what we saw just a few decades back. It is changing. And it's changing dramatically. Or now, people are confused as to what gender they are. You know, when I first heard this years a few years ago, I thought it was just insanity. I'm sorry, but these people should be locked up into some insane uh, hospital facility. There's two genders, male and female. Male and female. Anything outside of this is an abomination. I want to close with something else we said in Matthew 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, 3 through 4 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Joshua answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The disciples here came to Joshua for the purpose of asking for a sign. And it was a sign of his coming and the sign of the end of this age. And when this would happen, when this would occur, what was Joshua's response? How did he respond? Or he told his disciples, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Have you ever wondered why Yahshua began the Olivet Prophecy with, with these words? Why did Yahshua begin the Olivet Prophecy with don't be deceived? Why not begin something like there's going to be wars and there's going to be famines and there's going to be earthquakes and people will turn on one another and it's going to be the worst time? Why this? Why this? Well, I believe the reason why is that he knew that many would be deceived during these last days and that we would need the spiritual discernment and wisdom to not be deceived. And that's why I believe Yahshua emphasized here from the gate, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. In other words, have wisdom, have discernment. You know, as we see later in this prophecy, there will never, there's never been and there will never be a time worse than the Great Tribulation. That's what the Bible says. As bad as history has been, whether we're talking about the Assyrians or the Babylonians or Nazi Germany, the Bible says that all those times will not be as bad as what we will see with the man of sin. Yahshua said that no time before, no time after will be worse. We'll have greater atrocities, greater depravity, greater sin, greater persecution that we will see during the tribulation. This is why I would impress upon all those here that we must stand firm. I don't believe that COVID is the mark of the beast. Again, I do believe it may be a conditioning. 
I do believe it's a prelude, perhaps, to what will be. But I believe the bigger picture is, as believers, will we, will we resist? Or will we simply comply, as maybe some of the Jews did under Antiochus, Epiphanes under threat of death? What will we do as believers? So we need to stand firm in our faith. We need to prepare for this coming day. And again, we need to pray for spiritual discernment and wisdom so that we're not deceived. I don't know when the end is coming. I'm not one to give dates. I'm not one to give times. But I do believe that what we're seeing right now is certainly reminiscent of what we see in Scripture. I believe many, much of what we're seeing simply falls in line with the prophecies we find within the Word. And I'm telling you today, I'm telling you now, this is not the time to be spiritually negligent with your faith. This is not the time to be lazy. This is a time to be alert. This is a time to be cognizant. This is a time to be watching. How many times within the word does Yahshua say to watch? Think about all the parables Yahshua talks about watching. We better be watching and preparing ourselves for what is to come. And may Yahweh bless you all.